morning, church. It's good to be uh, in church on a Sunday when you have baptisms, am I right? Not one, but three. It's pretty amazing to be a part of. And it's not lost on me that we're talking about Abram today, right? Soon to be Abraham. Talking about Abraham's son. And Mike Abrahamson got baptized this morning. Not lost on me. I love the, uh, the verse in Psalms 122.1. It goes like this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122.1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Me too. Me too. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Jesus rescued me. Down in the muck and the mire and the pit, I thought I was dead. But he rescued me. I said to Jesus, will you save me? And he said, I will. I said, Jesus, will you pick me up out of this muck and this mire, out of this grave, call me out of this tomb? Will you save me? And Jesus said, I will. And he did. And he will for you too. That's why I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Every time I'm in the house of the Lord, I'm thankful to be here. Hey, my name is Matt Sullivan. For those of you I haven't met yet, I lead two ministries here, young adult ministries and our recovery ministries. My wife Kelly's here with us today. My, my two sons, Sawyer and Sutton, and even my mother-in-law, Gigi, is here. I may look a little different to some of you guys today. <sighs> yeah. See, I'd grown a mustache for a few weeks, and I was getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. My wife, not so much. Our marriage was on the rocks. So last night she goes to a concert. I'm home. I'm getting in bed early because I'm preaching today. Dead asleep, knocked out. And under cover of night, like a thief in the night, I heard this familiar sound as I'm asleep. And then, see, she forced me. She shaved half of it off, half. I wake up and I look like this. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. You know, we had a baptism day. We had three people get baptized. There was a line of people to get baptized today. That's special. When I think of lines, I think about this summer, our family, we went to Silver Dollar City. Anybody been to Silver Dollar City? Yeah, it's great. So we go to Silver Dollar City. I love it up there. Everything is way too expensive. I and mean, a corn dog is $9, a corn dog. And I had eight of them because they're so good. And there was this ride that Sawyer wanted to ride and Sutton was a little bit too small. So Kelly says, hey, why don't you and Sawyer go ride the ride? We'll wait right here till you get back. So me and Sawyer, we walk down the path and around the corner. We go over to this ride and 30 seconds later, I'm back. And Kelly's like, what, what, what are you doing? I'm like, the line is way too long. Can't do it. And she's like, really? How long was it? I was like, there's like three people in line. Because I can't wait. I can't wait. 
I have zero patience. I have no patience. I can't wait. I want everything now. I want everything yesterday. And sometimes yesterday is way too long. I'm not good at waiting. Have you ever waited on something? Have you waited on something? Have you ever waited on God? Have you ever waited on God? Have you had something going on in your life that you're praying about? You're not sure what's going to happen. You don't know the answers. You don't know the solution. And you're praying and praying and praying. And God has you in this season of waiting. Seasons of waiting are really difficult. Seasons of waiting make us think, does God hear us? Is he there? Does he care? Does he love me? Seasons of waiting can be very hard. But seasons of waiting can be very good too. It can teach us a whole lot. In that season of waiting, God proves himself. And he does something in us that changes us. It brings you endurance and perseverance. And he sets you up for something so that later on in life, when you get back in the season of waiting, he goes, remember back when? Remember back when? We survived that together too. So if you're in this room and you're, you're waiting on God right now, just hang on, because he hears you. Like Tyler's prayer said, God is faithful. So we've been in Genesis the last few weeks. Last week, Pastor Dave was in chapter 16. Were you here last week? You know, yeah. Well, last week was special. It was meet the need. Meet the need is when we have uh, people in the church that come forward and they say, hey, I've got a need. Not sure how we can meet it. Not sure what we can do. Can you guys help us? And so people would fill out a card for their need, whatever it was. A lot of it was monetary. Some of it was service. And they would turn the card in. They would, they'd bring us the card. We'd read through them and then we'd give them to Pastor Dave. And while we're reading the cards and going through the process, these people are waiting. They're waiting. Is this need going to get met? Will this need get met? This important need, will it get met? And I'll never forget, we have these cards. We give Dave the very first one and he gets it. He walks up front and he said, hey guys, we have this need here, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's about $300. Is anyone, and I'll never forget, before he could even get his hand in the air, someone in the back said, I'll do it. I mean, it was immediate. The next need comes, Dave gets it and he's reading it. Hey, this one's $400, can anybody? And four hands went flying in the air. There were people fighting over meeting these needs. They were fighting over it. There were people saying, I want to give. I want to love on my fellow believers in this church. I want to love on this family. And people were fighting over it to give money to help meet needs. It was a really special day. Pardon the pun, but I can't wait till we do it again because it was so special. So last week, Dave took us through chapter 16. Today, we'll be back in, or we'll be in chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17. And we'll set the stage for us real quick. Today's text is far more about God than it is about Abram. Today's text is far more about God and who he is than anything about Abram. The truth is the whole of scripture is that way. It's all about God. And it's specifically about his faithfulness about no matter what we're going through, no matter what sins we commit, no matter how far we are from him, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what kind of distance is there, God is faithful every single time. And this story is more about God than it is Abram. 
I think God gives us texts like these and stories like these and verses like these for us today. So when we go through seasons of waiting, when we go through seasons of I'm not sure what's going to happen, we can go back to these things and say, okay, what happened here? What did God do here? And then we read through it and we watch what this person did and we go, oh, and God is faithful every single time. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. One more time, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abram is the epitome of this verse. He models it so well, as we'll see as we unpack chapter 17. But you're going to find as we unpack this and we set the stage and get some context, God instructs, and what does Abram do? He obeys. God instructs and Abram obeys. When we act in faith, we take one step in that direction. Just one step in that direction and we're acting in faith. God said, go, Abraham went. He just does it. He actually, he operates on blind faith because he doesn't know what's about to happen. Let's get some context. So let's go to chapter 12 first so that it sets us up for chapter 17. We'll be in verse 1 and 2 and 4. Here's what it says. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 4. So Abram went. That's simple. Abram is 75 years old. He's living in his father's house probably a pretty comfortable living surrounded by family huge family in a country he's grown up in and known his whole life and God says go from your country go from your kindred go from your father's house to a land that I will show you so Abram went faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Abraham had a conviction in his soul that he should listen to God and act and take that step of faith. Just one step out of his father's house, one step out of his country, one step away from his family. God said, go, and Abram went. Let's get some more context. Let's go to chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. And God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and Abram believed the Lord. And God counted it to Abram as righteousness. God said, count these stars. Imagine a really clear night. All the stars, billions of stars, same night sky we have today, the same night sky Abram had. Different hemisphere, same stars. And God takes him outside. He says, Abram, look at that. Count all those stars. Your descendants will be more than this. Now you have to stop and think. Abram must be thinking right now, what are you talking about? I am 75 years old. I don't have a son. How can I have descendants if I don't have a son? And I'm 75. For a moment, Abram had to wonder, is this possible? But what does he do? And he believed. 
No son, 75, God says, count the stars. Abram believed. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Can you imagine the faith Abram must have had in that moment? Can you imagine the faith he must have had as he counted those stars and thought, wow, I'm going to have that many descendants. You know, Abram's name means exalted father. He's 75 and no children. Yet his name means exalted father. He had probably had to wonder if his name was spelled wrong and it should have been something else, right? God said, go, Abram went. God said, count the stars, Abram believed. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of faith? God says, go and we go. God says, count the stars and we do. What's God saying to you today? What's the faith step he's calling you to? What's the next move he is nudging your spirit to do? I tell guys all the time, when, the, when you get the nudge, budge. When you get the nudge, budge. It's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit nudges you to do something, say something, go somewhere, respond in faith and let God show up and show out. So we've got a little bit of the backstory here. Let's go to 17, verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared 99 years old. Hold on. 90, let's see if I can do the math. Math, 99, 75, 24 years. 24 years. God said, go. Abram went. God said, count the stars. Abram believed. 24 years later, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, what has happened in the last 24 years? If you go back one chapter, if you go back one verse, go back to 1616. Just go back one verse. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 86 when Ishmael was born. Ishmael was born through Hagar, Sarai's mistress, Sarai's servant girl. God did not call Abram to have a child with Hagar. Abram, in a moment, took matters into his own hands in the waiting And Ishmael came. Now, if you do the math again, from 1616 to 17.1 is 13 years. 13 years. There is no other recorded conversation between God and Abram. Maybe it was there. Maybe they talked. It's not here. It's not in the word. From 1616 to 17.1 is 13 years of silence. I love the saying, the teacher is always silence, silent, in times of testing, right? You remember school? You take a test, the teacher's silent. 13 years of silence here. 13 years of Abram thinking, has God abandoned me? Has he left me? Have I done too much? Is he going to come back? Is he going to keep his promise? As Abram is waiting on this promise, is God going to keep it? When God appears... He makes it real clear who he is and who Abram is, who he is and who we are. 
He says this, I am God Almighty. God appears and says, I'm God Almighty. None greater, none better, none stronger, none smarter. I am God Almighty. And he says, walk before me and be blameless. He's establishing something, who I am, who God is, and who you are and what I expect you to do. Be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. It's kind of like what us parents do, right? We say the same thing to our kids. I'll say to Sawyer and Sutton, I am your father. I get the last piece of cake. All right, that's how it works. That's how it works in our house. We learned it from God. Verse two, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God starts talking about this covenant that he's gonna make with them. But see, God is doing this for his sake. See, this story is about God. It's not about Abram. God is talking about this, this covenant and talking about this promise that he's going to keep for his sake, not Abram's. Because what God says he's gonna do, he does. And what is Abram's response in verse three? Then Abram fell on his face. I think that's pretty appropriate, right? Not only because this is God Almighty that has just appeared before him. I think that is part of it. If God Almighty showed up in front of me, I'm pretty sure I'd fall on my face too. But I think it's also a couple of more things. I think it's gratitude. Because see, Abram took matters into his own hands 13 years prior. And now he's learning that God did not abandon him, did not forget him. When we take matters into our own hands and we want to speed up the process, God still loves us. He still cares. I have this, I, I always have this struggle. I want God's will, but I want it on Matt's timing. And there's a rub there. God's will, but my timing. I want God to act when I want him to act. But see, God's timing is perfect. See, in seasons of waiting, God's timing is perfect. He's teaching us something there. He's growing that perseverance. He, he, he's growing in us something that wasn't there before that he wants us to learn in this season of waiting. And in this season of waiting for Abram, he has just learned God has not forsaken him. I think it's also gratitude that God is keeping his word that God hasn't forgotten the promise. I mean, he's waited 24 years. We, we kind of read this passage and kind of gloss over that, but think about 24 years, how long that is. 24 years ago is 1998, October 9th, 1998, 24 years. Can you imagine someone giving you a promise that long ago? October of 1998, they gave you a huge promise. Not a, hey, I'll promise to give you my pair of shoes, but I promise to make you a great nation. Count these stars. You'll have this many descendants and 24 years have passed. That will be a long time to wait. Have you ever had somebody go above and beyond a promise? Has somebody ever made a promise to you and then they go above and beyond? It's hard to forget when someone makes a promise, but they do exponentially more. There's something in it that just kind of captivates us. It makes us feel special and loved and thought over and appreciated. And it does something that's where we want to respond and do the same for others, right? God blesses us, we bless others, right? You hire a guy to cut the grass. You come home from work and the grass is cut, but they also trim the hedges. 
and laid some mulch and trimmed some trees and cleaned out your gutters, power washed your sidewalk, went to the backyard, cut the grass there too. Fixed your fence, repaired the gate, planted some trees, made you a nice path that leads to a fountain. He promised to cut the grass, but he over-delivered with all these things. Verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Did you catch it? Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. In chapter 12, verse 1, I'm sorry, in chapter 12, God said, I will make you a great nation. God said, I will make you a great nation. Hey, a great nation would be incredible. A father of a great nation would be awesome. So in spite of what Abram has done, 13 years ago, when God shows up, he over delivers and says, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham has got to still be face down. He has got to still be face down, cannot believe the things that are coming out of God's mouth. And he hears this. Abram heard 24 years ago, a great nation. Now God is saying, hey, I'm going to make you a father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to take my promise and I'm going to make it even better. Verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now this is significant. This is significant. A name change is a big, big deal. My brother, when he was 15, I was 11 or 12, his whole life he had gone by the name Jody. And at 15, he got tired of being called Jody. And he said, I'm changing my name to David. Well, his middle name is David, sorry. I mean, he had two power names. His name is Joseph David. My first name is Bert, but I go by Matt. I'm kidding. He got Joseph David, two power names. He went by Jody his whole life, 15 years, Jody. At 15, he says, hey, I want to go by my middle name. I want you to call me David. Let me tell you something. It took me seven years to call that man David. It was a very difficult thing to do. His name was just imprinted in my head as Jody. It's how I knew him as Jody. And it took so long. And every time I would say, hey, Jody, he would say, no, no. I'm David. I said, oh, that's right, Dave, Dave, David. I do it again later. Hey, Jody. No, no, no. My name is David. Imagine Abram. Imagine all the people that had to keep calling him, must have kept calling him Abram. And he would say, no, no, I have a new name now. It's Abraham. God renamed me Abraham. And so every time somebody called him Abram, it was a reminder of who he is now, Abraham, and that God did not forget him. A constant reminder all the people in his household that must have kept calling him Abram, but he kept saying, I used to be Abram, I'm Abraham now. Like for us, I used to be lost, but now I'm found. 
Verse 6, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come, of you, shall come from you. And there he goes over delivering again. See, in chapter 12, he said, I will make you a great nation, singular. And now he's saying, I will make you a multitude of nations, and now kings will come from you. God over delivering. In spite of who we are, in spite of what we do, in spite of what we bring to him, God over delivers. In 7 and 8, God goes to talk about the covenant, how it will be between me and you, Abram, and it will be between me and you and all of your offspring, all the generations after you. It's how all these stars number in his descendants because God said it will be between me and you and all of your family, everyone that comes after you. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. A new covenant, a new sign of this covenant through circumcision. God is saying we have a whole new relationship it's like a parent-child relationship. I have renamed you. You are now Abraham. I am your father. I made you a promise 24 years ago, and I'm going to keep it, and it's going to be through this covenant. Jump to, jump to verse 15. God does something else with a name. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. He's also creating a new relationship with Sarah. He's saying, you are my daughter. We have a new relationship now. And that promise that I made to your husband 24 years ago, that I made to you as well, is going to happen. This new covenant. And so every time somebody calls her Sarah, she says, oh, no, 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 I'm Sarah. And it's a constant reminder that God did not forget but what's special about it this time, if you look at verse 21, God actually gives a deadline. See, in 12 and 15, he never gave a deadline. He said, go. And Abram went. But here in, chapter, in verse 21, he says, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Can you imagine what Abram must have, Abraham must have been thinking? In one year, I'll have a son. 99 years old, and his son is finally coming. God is fulfilling the promise that he made 24 years ago. I believe that Abram is probably still face down. Tears coming out of his eyes. Absolute reverence for God Almighty. Absolute thankfulness for who God is and all the promises he's making and all the over-delivering that he's doing. And he is still face down. Verse 22 says, and when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And if you remember from chapter 12 and chapter 15, God said, go. Abram went. God said, count the stars. Abram believed. What does he do in chapter, in verse 23? Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and circumcised them immediately. He did what God instructed him to do. He didn't think about it. He didn't question it. He didn't take what God said and wonder and ponder. Did he mean that? Did he mean this? When do I do this? 
he immediately acted in faith. Faith can be a really difficult thing to act on. There are times in my life that I'm not really operating on a lot of faith. Things are pretty smooth and my storehouse is full of faith. But then a little bump in the road comes, a little issue pops up, a little thing that scares me. And I go to the warehouse to go grab a bunch of faith and it's gone. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever talked about all the faith you have and in the moment you need it, you're gripped and you're like, where is it? I need it. So how does this apply to us today? Abraham had been waiting on a promise for 24 years, such a long time. To stay faithful, hopeful, and committed that long is absolutely incredible. And it's a great reminder and in great encouragement for us, for those of us that are in a season of waiting. Are you waiting on God right now? Is there something going on in your life and you're waiting? Is there something that you're praying about all the time and you're waiting? You're taking it to God. You're taking it to the foot of the cross. You're asking him to act and you're waiting. Maybe it's finances. Maybe finances have gotten tight. Bills are hard to pay. Groceries are getting more expensive. Gas is more expensive. And the money is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, but more isn't coming in. And you're praying to God over finances. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you need a new job. Maybe you've interviewed for a job and you're waiting to find out if you got the job and you need it really, really bad. Maybe it's a move. Maybe not out of the country like Abraham did. Maybe it's across town. Maybe it's selling your house you're in now. Can we afford the next one? I think we can. Let's look at the budget. I'm not sure. I'm praying over finances. Maybe I need to get a new job and then we'll move. And you're going to God and you're praying about it. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Maybe you've gone to see the doctor and he says, hmm, I see something here I'm not quite sure about. We need to run some more tests. And that feeling you get, that feeling you get, oh, and you start praying. And you're praying for answers. And you're asking for God to act. And you're in a time of waiting. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you two just cannot seem to get on the same page and there's conflict and there's issues and you're waiting on her to apologize and she's waiting on you to apologize and you're both praying about it and you're wondering how is this going to be resolved? How is this going to be reconciled? And you're waiting, but hopefully you have a Sunday school class or a small group and you're sharing it with those ladies or you're sharing it with those men. Or maybe you're in a life group, maybe you're in a D group. Maybe you have built some kind of community in this church and you can go to them and say, hey, a marriage, we're not doing too good. And I need your prayers. And you're in this season of waiting. Is God going to show up? Is he going to do something? But see, in this waiting, God is growing your perseverance. He's growing your strength. He's growing your character. He's showing you something that maybe you didn't think you had, but he's saying, no, 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 you got it. Just keep hanging on. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids are going through something. Maybe it's another relationship around you, a, a parent, a sibling. Maybe you're waiting on God because there's an addiction in your home. Maybe there's an addiction in your home and you're praying for God to do something with your husband, with your wife, with your child, with your parent. And you're praying and you're waiting and you're waiting. And if that's you in the room and you feel this gnaw in your spirit, that's God. 
That's God saying, hey, I want to pull you up out of the muck and the mire. And you say, God, will you save me? And he says, I will. He says, I will. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's something I haven't mentioned today. Maybe it's a fill in the blank. There's something that you are waiting on and you're praying about and you're wondering, is God going to show up? Did you know that when God says, I will, it's a promise? When God says, I will, that's a promise. In chapter 12, there were four I wills. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And he did. In chapter 17, the one we just unpacked, he says, I will make you fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish my covenant with you. I will give you land and I will be their God. And he did. When God says, I will, he does. When God says, I will, it's a promise. And God keeps all of his promises, not for your sake and not for your sake and not for your sake and not for your sake, for his. He keeps his word for his sake. See, God made and kept all these I wills because he is faithful. He kept them because of him and not because of us. He follows through with what he says. And all these wills, all these promises, he kept them. The whole of scripture is for us to say, what did God do? How does this apply to me? And all the I wills give us hope, give us encouragement, and give us something to look forward to. In regard to that covenant circumcision, Paul says in Romans 2, 29, circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. See, it's a cutting away of all the things that separate us from God. Today, we look for circumcision of the heart. The things in the heart that separate us from God, a sin issue, pride, an addiction, anger, whatever it is, something that puts distance between you and God. And, and Paul says, hey, circumcision is a matter of the heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole of Scripture. 36, 26. And I will, here's a few more I wills for you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And when that happens, when that new heart comes, here's the promise we're waiting on today. The I will of today, the I will of Jesus. See, when he changes that heart of stone to a heart of flesh and he draws us into a new covenant with him. John 14, three applies. It says this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let me ask you something, church. Has Jesus prepared a place for you? Has Jesus prepared a place for you? Is there a place waiting on you when you die? Do you want there to be a place for you? Do you want Jesus to prepare a place for you? for your kids. See, I was down in the muck and the mire and I was dying. I was in that tomb and I was toast. And I said, God, will you save me? And he said, I 
will. So if there's anybody in this room today and that place has not been prepared for you, in a moment, Tyler and his team, they're gonna come up, they're gonna do some songs for us and there will be a time of response. And I pray that if God is nudging you right now, if you have been waiting, if you're in a season of waiting and you need something to share with somebody else, maybe it's an issue in your home, an issue at work, an issue in your heart, a heart of stone that you want to be changed to a heart of flesh, today might be that day to talk to somebody about it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for all that you do for us, how you love us, how you care for us, all your mercies, all of your grace, all of your forgiveness, all of the promises that you make that we can read in your word every single day that prove who you are and who we are in you. You do it because of you, not because of us. Your promises are true and they're always kept. You tell us that when we exchange that heart of stone for a heart of flesh, that you will come back and get us and take us to that place that you have prepared. We love you so much, Jesus. The death on the cross to save us from our depravity, from our sin, the rescue that we experience from our self, Father. Thank you. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that patience. Help us, Lord, to wait on you. When we're in that season of waiting, Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and not on the circumstances that we know and we trust and we believe, Lord, that you will do what you say you will do because of you. And we love you, Jesus. It's your holy name we pray.